I think that works for you to like pop in and be like, well, let's we're talk here. about Jay. Okay. Let's talk about Jay, mm-hmm. baby. Okay. Go into my notes. How you doing, sweet cakes? I think we're here. Okay, right. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Ready graphics? Ready theme? Previously on the Murphy Brown Podcast, in which we talked about climate change and what's happening mm-hmm. to our poor, our poor environment. It's still going, guys. It was uh, nostalgic to read some words that I had not heard in a very long time. Mm, you mean polystyrene? And on today's episode, we'll be talking about Season 2, Episode 6, Whose Garbage Is It Anyway? Part 2. And uh, a little background on the greenhouse effect, actually from an article from 1988 and how it was defined back then. The greenhouse effect theory has been around for two centuries, again at that time, but it suddenly started making headlines during the hot, dry summer of 1988, which we mentioned. The idea is that certain gases in the atmosphere act like the glass on a greenhouse. They let sunlight in, but they won't let the heat out. The biggest villain is carbon dioxide, which is released when fossil fuels such as oil or coal are burned. Uh, oh, coal, you say? Coal? Yes. Oh, Funny. What, a, what an ancient concept. I know. So mm. all of this, again, extremely relevant. This is horrifying that that's been around that long. Also, leading into that, sort of the three big issues of that time was cleaning the air, huh. the ozone depletion, hmm. and the extinction of animals, which reminded me, of course, of the bees. <sighs> the poor bees. The poor bees. And then Corky says, I don't want him to touch me again. Shudder. Uh, they all slump in their seats very badly trying to hide from him as he swans over in his very Jerry Gold fashion. He says, oh, look, his old friends at FYI. Mind if I join you? They all try to say no and he immediately sits down, arm right around Corky, right into her face. How you doing, sweet cakes? You know what I also wrote down? I wrote, he's hmm. obsessed with them. Yes. Oh, he is. <laughs> He's so obsessed know, with them. I get very much like a, you know, like Ducky from 80s John Hughes movies, like the kid who watches them and knows everything because he's like the little outcast. There's something about, and Ducky isn't the perfect example, but there's something about his obsession with them, like his, uh, his focus on them and on uh, their particular station that is very much the like the outcast kid who really just wants to be a part of the game yeah and it's funny now that you say that i remember that in uh, his last episode we find out that he was bullied uh yeah like, when he was a kid which totally makes sense that he was that kid who then became the bully yeah who was like well then i'm gonna be the bigger bully that's gonna give me empowerment and so they're almost like this is all coming out of my head now like the cool mm-hmm. kids so as much as he like feels that they're mm-hmm. all hypocrites I think he like secretly wants to be them. Well, and there's that thing about like, I remember I wasn't a cool kid. I was, I had my group and I was so thankful for my little, you know, Island of Misfit toys. But there was a, an element of, you talked a big game disliking the people that you were incredibly jealous of because things came easily to them or they were the liked ones or yeah. you know, there's, there's like you hit them before they can hit you first. And same thing with himself. Like you even watch on his show and like, yes, it's a shtick of like, I don't care about any of you. Shut up. Don't cheer for me. But there is something to like, I'm going to, I'm going to push it all down instead of taking the, the affection. Like there is this quality of like, he's going, he's going to be the mean one before you can be mean to him because it's on his terms now. Yeah. And he says later on when he, is you know noted for something successful that it means a lot to him as, yeah. as it would to anyone but it's funny yeah. i never thought about it till this moment that he is totally obsessed with them obsessed <laughs> and 
I mean, it's such a just and this is just I think the way that Jay Thomas and Kenneth Bergen play it. But there's just it's so obvious these two are going to hook up from this very first moment. You're just like, oh, of course, he's not actually into Corky. Like, he is 100% into Murphy Brown. Well, that's the thing about Jerry. If you look at all of his insults all over the years, he always picks things very specific for specific people. Just like a good troll. I hate that I'm Mm. saying the word good troll. Sounds like an oxymoron, but... A a successful troll. Thank you. There you go. That's better. They know where everyone's weaknesses are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, after this, he tends to make... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, but I was going to say there is something about that kind of of person who knows exactly what to say to really get to someone, the same way, you know, the way that he gets to Jim, like the fact that he makes Jim speechless and unable to to drop, you know, a a great... Because Jim is known for these amazing statements that he'll make in response to people, and he can't get anything out. So he has this very specific effect on each person. And what I... What I like and I, again this is kind of like saying good troll like i don't like this but as a as a creator and an artist what i what i love about this character is the fact that he does i think one of the most hateful things to corky in which he does completely sum her up with all of his insults about her looks he he picks her he picks everyone's stereotype and the thing that they're probably either most proud of or most most insecure about on mm-hmm. either side of that, and uses that as the weapon. So he completely belittles Corky constantly. And you yeah. see, like, that is what he sees her as. Yeah, he w- he wouldn't do that to Murphy. He's doing no. it specifically to Corky because he yes. knows it's going to – he's needling. He's needling. Yeah. I'm going to get he's, you. He's a needler. And eventually it becomes jokes about her intelligence. Yep. It's it's brilliant because it is – we all know those people. And it, it you get such a visceral reaction when you see it done well in front of you in, in a production. Mm-hmm. You – because it's not just, oh, this guy's a jerk. It's he's a specific kind of jerk. And you see your beloved characters getting bothered. And they're not just bothered because he's a general jerk. It's because he's a really good jerk. Yeah, he is. What I love is he, uh, as he's sitting there, you know, he says, oh, you know, I saw the show last night. And um, uh, would you like some suggestions from a colleague? <laughs> to which Jim replies, and I just wrote blustering. He just goes, oh, when a snowball in hell freezes over and pigs drive. And then he just kind of looks down and just like starts shaking his head in frustration of all the mixed metaphors that just came out of his mouth. <laughs> Murphy uh, brushes them off saying they're just fine. She, they're not big on pointers from a guy whose last interview was wearing nipple clamps. What I like is what we just talked about with the way that uh, he's clearly reacting from a place of pain. I feel like this is so the, it's so interesting doing this podcast 30 years later, as opposed to when I was a kid watching this. Mm-hmm. And because when I see this reaction he he's about to have, I'm like, oh, this is from a place of pain. Who hurt you, little boy? Um, <laughs> there is very much like, a, oh, you see this kind of behavior, and the older you get, the more you're like, oh, I see where that's coming from. Oh, I see where that's coming from. And he says, oh, he forgot they're the only real news people around. He's just some poor schnook with 30 million viewers a week. And he does this amazing speech, which is one of the reasons that I love this episode. Oh, the speech is is great. And and a lot of it is is uh, emphasized by what he's not saying. Exactly. And what what I love about this is, is a true argument about that we're still having right now about people who claim to be advocates, but don't walk the walk. And he may be a jerk, but he's also telling the truth. And so he goes around and he basically, I'm not going to do the full uh, speech because yeah. we, we'll be here all day. But essentially, he stands up and says, yeah, well, you know, yeah, and he, he starts speaking to the entire bar, which is the other thing. He gets everyone paying attention as he calls these people. And he says, yeah, well, you know what? It's it's easy to tell people what to do when Brown fires up her gas-guzzling sports car to fill it up two blocks away. And Frank is like, you can't point fingers at her. Set him straight, Murphy. To which Murphy looks incredibly sheepish and goes, 
I may have done it once. It was going to snow. And then Jerry points out, oh, Frank, I, I saw you at the gym. And I, what I like is Miles then goes, ha, you were at the gym? One of my favorite things in this episode is Miles constantly trying to be like, ha, and like join in the barbs. And he just can't, he can't no. dance. Yeah. Jerry is at Murphy's caliber. He's not in anyone yes. else's caliber. J- yeah, Jerry is is danger Murphy for for Miles. And so Miles is trying to be like, ha, you were at the gym? What I love is Jay just turns his head at him. Like he barely, he does, he, he gives him the least amount of physical effort to respond. He says, yeah, I like to watch the babes do squat thrusts. Oh, it's horrible. It's deliciously horrible. He goes, anyway, Fontana, what was that, a 20-minute shower? All that water. And poor Frank's like, uh, and what I like is Corky's like looking at him like, what the heck? He goes, I have an oily scalp and chili, which I, I do get. I oof, This is one of my problems is like when I'm cold, I get I take a really hot shower. And then he turns to Jim and he goes, and when was the last time you carpooled, huh? And my favorite Jim line of this scene is you don't just make you say me stop it. <laughs> it is the best one other than firm when he can't oh. say anything at all. But that, oh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty oh, good. My, oh, my God. And what I like is he does it. You can see his internal like, damn it. And then just like punches his hand in frustration that he didn't get it out. And I just want to clarify, I went through this multiple times to make sure I got the right list. It is you just don't make you say me stop it. Jerry feeling like he's one, you know, Stands up, says, you know, it's lots of fun, as always. And then Murphy jumps up after him. And this is when now the entire bar has not just been eavesdropping, but now is turned around and is listening as they're center stage. And she goes, not so fast, nature boy. What do you do for the environment? And this is, do you, Lauren, do you have the speech, by the way? I do have this speech. Do you want to read the speech, Lauren? Not so fast, nature boy. Nature boy. Before you go back to your Roach Motel, I think we'd all love to hear what you do for the environment. And what's great, it says uh, in the script, lights up another Mm. you want to know what i do for the environment and then he it's not in the script which i always felt had to be true is that jerry says that and then he blows smoke out into the air i can't believe that wasn't in the script and then later on when we get to jerry kissing corky and blowing smoke in her mouth and her blowing Uh. it out that was actually thought up on the stage corby told us that that they came to rehearsal and saw them do that and just like lost it it was so funny Uh, So these are the things that Jerry does. I heat my pool 365 days a year and I don't even swim. Plus he has a pool in DC. So that's interesting. And I love this. He goes, when I fill up my tank, it's nothing but leaded gas for me. A man's gas. I love he looks right at Frank. A man's gas. Which of course made me think about Avengers Endgame and America's ass. Oh, always. Uh, but I also, this, just like the greenhouse effect, the leaded mm. and unleaded brought back so many memories. Yeah. Because, you know, in New Jersey, you can't pump your own gas. Mm-hmm. So I have so many memories of being in the car in the back and my dad, you know, them asking leaded or unleaded and, you know, it being very specific conversation because he couldn't do it himself. Well, honestly, it's the, it's the same, that question is the same kind of memory throwback for me as smoking or non. Mm-hmm. It was smoking or non, leaded or unleaded, like those yeah. are certain that you just don't ask anymore. No, no. And then he goes, what am I going to do with the future? Leave it to my kids? I don't even leave them my forwarding address. We'll go back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But at least I'm not singing one song in public and dancing another at home. Jerry, 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 Jerry. Interesting, because I typed it off of the, uh, I didn't use the script. I typed it off mm-hmm. of the the performance. And I'm pretty sure there's some interesting line, like line tweaks in there. I'm pretty sure he says, but at least I don't say one tune in public and dance to another at home. I mean, it could absolutely say that. I don't think or I wrote all that decent. down. Oh, no, I just I find that the little the little tiny tweaks fascinate me. So should we uh, should we do a little uh, retcon theater? Oh, shall we? 
You mean uh, Jerry's plethora of children that he's referring to? Yes, children. Oh, yeah. All those those multiple kids. Uh, I mean, you could say that the word kids, you know, is a a phrase that just people say that it doesn't mean multiple. That being said, he has to at least have one kid. Yeah. Well, and that's the... Yeah, it's... Mm, yeah. So if he was going to say, what am I going to do with the future? Give it to my kids or leave it to my kids. I mean, that's fine. That's a that's a common statement that we hear on, you know, the Breitbarts and the, all this, you know, like yeah. these, these places. Um, it's a hypothetical. But then he says, I don't even give them my forwarding address. Bingo. That is, that's that it. is far too personal. The, that you can't get over that line. I don't yep. even leave them my forwarding address, which means that someone exists that is an offspring of him, whether he has a relationship with them or not, whether he's kidding about this or it's true. That that kind of line is is so beautifully written because it is full of a a history. There is a referential history in that line. That is a relationship that he is referring to. That is not just a hypothetical. That that is a reference to a bad relationship with a kid. <laughs> also, Jay Thomas is wearing his wedding ring. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Now, I think I may have told this story before, but if anyone is a fan of West Wing, like we are. Richard Schiff, former guest of the pod, played Toby Ziegler, wears his wedding ring, his own personal wedding ring, which some actors do, particularly, I understand why Jay would, because there was no guarantee he was going to come back. There was no anything. He wasn't that substantial of a character in the sense of having a backstory. So why not, right? Mm-hmm. Richard Schiff wore it, and the, the producers and Aaron Sorkin didn't notice until a couple episodes in and told him, you know, well, uh, we don't think that Toby's married. And he was like, well... I'm wearing it. So you got to figure that out. And that's how his ex-wife was created. So you could say that this separation with a spouse is a new thing. Mm -hmm. He's not wearing it when finally he dates Murphy, because obviously. Uh So this is a flub. This is something, you know, Aaron Sorkin says writing television is like writing in a tunnel. You can't see the light at the end. Mm -hmm. This is just something that is a gaffe because they didn't know it was going to happen in the future. That being said, it's fun. That's why we have retcon theater to try to make it make sense. Oh, yeah. Which I have done previously on the podcast uh, in my own sort of crazy mind. Um, And I won't go into it because we have a lot to talk about, but it's always interesting to me. Like, He's got a kid. He does have a kid. And, you know, we talked about with the revival, hoping that we could just, you know, throw Lauren up there as uh, as Jerry's. Uh, secret daughter, but uh, <laughs> I, I volunteer myself in tribute. <laughs> it, fan fiction, go ahead. Yes. Uh, fan art, make it happen. But there was something really beautiful. So I think there. What I loved about the the West Wing example with Richard Schiff and Toby Ziegler is that we live in a world where seeing a ring like that um, it has an incredibly binary reaction. Mm-hmm. It's they're taken or they're not. I just thought about the uh, I watched rewatched the movie Sideways recently, and I was thinking about the commentary that they have at one point where uh, Thomas Hayden Church says, "Oh yeah, well you know Christine wore an you know a diamond on her finger all the time at work just so that men didn't hit on her because she didn't want to look that way." Like there's so many reasons somebody might wear something on their finger, and what I love about uh, Richard Schiff having that flub with the costume and production department is that it led to an incredibly non-binary relationship because instead of just being like oh guess he's married they're like oh actually he has this divorce and he doesn't take it off because he has an emotional attachment and it creates so much more nuance and 
that little flub actually led to one of the more interesting, unique relationships on that show. Agreed. And that's sort of the great thing about the creative process is, mm -hmm. you know, you throw things in. I mean, Jay Thomas is a great example. If another actor had played Jerry Gold, most likely – they would have not gone on to have a relationship. Yeah. It was what Jay brought to the character it was the chemistry they had together. Jay said that Candace was always very generous to him, and that's how they had such a great, you know, on-camera relationship. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's kind of what I love about the performing arts because it's a collaborative effort, and everyone yeah. brings a little bit. Um, there is an actress, Christine Rose, who has been on Murphy Brown. Actually, we want her on the show, so contact us. Mm -hmm. um, and also was the mother on Heroes. And she uh, went back to school and wrote a thesis that she mentioned in an interview, which actually I got to read, but that's a whole other story. The process is like jazz. Mm -hmm. You're all sort of improving off each other, you know, even though it's technically not improv. And I sort of, I just love that, that, you know, if not for this and that, it wouldn't have sparked other ideas. But also to piggyback mm -hmm. on what you said, yeah, it's very easy to just write off, you know what, Jerry is a, is a jerk and he wears the ring to uh, be able to have affairs with women and not have the consequences. Mm -hmm. So there's that, you know. But as a famous person, you think someone would notice he's wearing a ring. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's also this uh, really great thing that I love about the creative process, which is that if you can recognize that an audience is going to have a binary reaction to something like that, you have the opportunity as the creatives to turn that on its head you have the opportunity to see that ring and make a choice to make a more unique, unconventional relationship or situation, as opposed to being like, well, I guess he's married, which plenty of people probably have done in productions. I mean, like, well, I guess we're just going to take that out of the way. Instead, shows can choose to show a less conventional, more diverse type of family and relationship and set of civilians. And that's what I, one of the things I really love about that Richard Schiff story is that they chose to go with something different instead of just settling on he's a hetero. It colors man. so many other lines. You know, I'm not one who mm -hmm. blossoms around kids is what he yeah. says to her. That, that, that maybe there's more torture behind his choice to stay and help her because he loves her so much that it's going against what he feels is his instincts or something mm -hmm. traumatic in his life. Because we know that Jerry is a very feeling person under all that bravado. Yeah. So that's interesting mm -hmm. to me um, that if he does not have a relationship with his own child, let's say, but he he was on his way to perhaps having some sort of relationship with the child that is not his with the woman that he loves. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, it's all just sort of fascinating to me. There's also a line uh, which I've mentioned in the episode when he finds out that Murphy is pregnant along with what I just mentioned, something about how his parents once sued him. So I come up with this idea that his parents had sued him for custody and that's why we never hear about this kid. Mm -hmm. Or kids. We honestly don't know and it's sad. We, we don't know. Yeah. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, we are um, two of I, probably seven people in the world who have put this yes, much yes, exactly. that set of lines. <laughs> but that's why we but enjoy it. The it at, the, at the end of the day, exactly. We get to have fun with it. It's ridiculous. It doesn't I mean, unless you're listening to this podcast, it doesn't really change your enjoyment of the show. But gosh darn it, are we just going to enjoy the crap out of it? Yes. I I enjoy trying to figure out how much of the statement is real and how much is false. Because some of it has to be real for this joke to yeah. land. Yeah. And I feel like just, you know, we're both writers. And when you see a little thread mm -hmm. that doesn't connect, it's like you want it to make sense. So it's real, you know? Yes. And like, who doesn't love a little fandom conspiracy? Exactly. All right. So continuing on, Murphy's reaction to the speech is, are you saying I'm a hypocrite? <laughs> to which uh, Jerry goes, bingo, tell the lady what she's won, Phil. I love that. And he turns into one of my favorite lines, which is, 
You and Robert Redford and your whole band of wimp tree huggers are all the same. (laughs) Always picking on the little guy, ding ding, telling him how to live his life. I bet you right now in front of everyone, if you had to live live without your ACs and limos, and he lists a bunch of other cushy things, you wouldn't last two weeks. And what I like is he's been making the circle down downstage to come back toward Murphy. And as he passes the table, Miles just kind of quietly gets up and trails behind him. And as he finishes a statement with the two weeks, Miles just appears behind him and says, are you saying the greatest news source couldn't pull it together for two weeks of recycling, conserving? Hmm? Is that it? <laughs> this is a, a tiny moment is that Jerry goes, that's it. So? And every, we, we cut over to Frank and Corey. They're like, yeah, we'll take you up on that. We can do it. Hmm, hmm, do, do. And then Jim. Doesn't he bat his eyes, Jim? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, ding, ding, ding. It's very much like, what? You can't do it? Bing, bing. And Jim, I know you said firm. Is that what it says in the script? Oh, let's check. Because I wrote, I watched it about seven times and all I got was three. <laughs> I had T-H-R-E-E-M. Through. Oh my God, this might be a Charles Kimbrough improv because look at. I think so. It just says Jim makes an incoherent noise. So that's totally Charles Kimbrough. <laughs> Which I'm going to put in canon as T R T H R E E M. Thream. That's right. Maybe it's Thream. Thream. Jim makes an incoherent <laughs> noise. <laughs> and, and then you just see, see his internal monologue, monologue like, bah, because it just didn't work again. He's trying so he hard. Is. And so they go, okay, I guess you can do this. So Jerry says, if you lose, Murphy has to do a personal appearance on my show. And what what I like is we don't hear what happens if if he loses. That's right. We don't. Yeah, that's just. It's a fun little surprise yeah. for the end. But uh, he then says, Murphy Brown on the Jerry Gold Show. I love this. I know the show for you, too. I hope you look good in edible panties. So already my my internal... But I'm just dying inside of hatred and love of the writing of this character. And then he does my least favorite thing in the world, which is that he then on his way out. And while I recognize it is 100% character driven, and that's why it's so wonderful, because I hate him so much in this Mm -hmm. moment, because it's perfect character writing. He leans down, kisses Corky with a very full open mouth walks out and Corky just blows out a full mouth of smoke. Yeah, it's, it's it's gross on many levels. So many levels. We everyone knows the like current modern level that we hate so much, but on a comedy level, what I love is I went back and tried to figure out when he got that much smoke into his mm-hmm. mouth to be able to put it in her mouth. It's the magic of TV. I don't know, but it is oh poor Corky. Just getting just getting assaulted left and right by this man. All right. So we cut to, I'm assuming, the next day. The bullpen is bustling. Um, our main group is in sort of the back area screening room watching the Jerry Gold show. The set is very similar in style to Morton Downey Jr., who the character originally was based on. Also, the sort of catchphrases where Jerry's like, okay, okay, shut up. Also very Morton Downey Jr. Uh-huh. Um, Jerry is thanking the ladies of legalized castration. He, oh, he, he tells the guy, he goes, I want to thank you too, Bert. Sorry if we cut you short. <laughs> uh, but before they wrap up, he wants to remind everybody of the Murphy Watch. It's a real opportunity for the Washington, D.C. viewers. 50 bucks for anyone who spots the FYI team throwing out recyclables with a regular trash, keeping their car a little too clean. He's going to give 100 bucks. And then I said he smokes just like Morton Downey Jr., the biggie, a thousand smackaroos to anyone who sees them riding alone in the carpool lane. And it's 1-800-I-SAW-HER. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, I will say, as another reason that I just love this episode so much is like, 
I'm not mad about the extreme accountability. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, you were like, I hate your methods, but you kind of are like, you have a moral code. I kind of adore this. I minus the fact that he is encouraging, like, essentially stalking. Like, it's an extremist version of, of public accountability. But there is something really great about, like, he knows exactly what all the different ways that they are going wrong. Like, he, again, he knows what he's talking about when he's saying, like, this is bad recycling. This is this. This is car, like the carpool, like all this kind of stuff. He knows how to be a good environmental citizen. He just doesn't want to. And he's actually educating his public on how to do it. He's just making a joke of it and also encouraging them to, you know, essentially mob and stalk a couple people. But the the pulled back version of this, of public accountability, is kind of great. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it makes it so that later on when you see the sort of the inside of Jerry that, you know, he has mm-hmm. a soul and a heart. You, if you go back to this, you go, well, yeah. There it is. You know, I mean, at one point, Murphy... When she starts to realize this about Jerry, she's like, this is scary. I agree with you about something. Because at the core, I'm sure they both would agree that, you know, it's bad to be a hypocrite. Well, and honestly, there is this. uh, You're going to you're going to hate hearing this. But there is something about this particular quality that is the same as Jake Lowenstein. I I don't hate it. I I can see they, it. This is this is the good in Jake. This is the like somebody who believes something really strongly and goes to extremes about it. And there are like they aren't just complete opposites actually. And there is something begrudgingly right that they agree upon. No, I hadn't thought of it that way, but um I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same kind of banter. You frustrate me because you're also intelligent and capable and we're actually on the same page about stuff. The J-men. The J-men. So something that is very obvious when we go over to the coffee island, which Frank notices is that we have a lot of paper and plastic, even more than usual. Uh, Corky demands from that now on that everyone bring their own mug. You know, they're really going to get into this. Uh, everyone's going to take turns washing all the mugs. Jim volunteers first, the senior anchor. Everyone applauds and cheers. Murphy reminds them that using styrofoam or polystyrene, these takeout boxes, it's the devil's styrofoam. No more ordering from places who use these containers until they find a practical way to recycle them. Well, speaking of, so there is a, to bring this into the, you know, kind of the current sphere, there's a lot of talk about, you know, really keeping cities and individuals accountable about their recycling. And uh, you're looking at things like the the straw ban, which uh, I'd love to talk about later because there is um, straw, you know, banning plastic straws or regulating them is, is great on many levels. Um, however, it's not, it's a dent in a larger problem. And also there's a built-in ableism uh, regarding that, that we should recognize that uh, there are people with disabilities who need them. Um, however, uh, there is this great article on NPR, and there's a quote that is that the key word in it is that we can recycle it. The things can be recycled. It doesn't mean that they will be recycled. And of all the plastics produced since the 1950s, just 9.5% were recycled, with the rest either incinerated or piling up in landfills and in the natural environment. So the fact that we can recycle things doesn't mean people are. So that statement about like, we won't use polystyrene until they find a better way to recycle it. You then also need to keep those, those, uh, the places where they're going and the people using them accountable for actually recycling them. Since the 1950s, we have only recycled 9.5% of plastics that could have been. Ugh. So, like, that statement is, is great. It's a great idea. But even then, we're, we're still not doing it. Well, 
And they were definitely weren't doing well, it. Well, if I could add something that I found out recently that blew my mind, I have a friend who is very uh, active in certain ways in the Jersey City boards and things like that. And she found out that because of the issues that our current president is having with China, that uh, New Jersey can no longer recycle more than two types of plastic because all the more difficult types of plastic were sent to China to be recycled. Well, and that's something, they weren't necessarily sent there to be recycled. It's that other countries were buying our plastic to then you that not just quote unquote recycle, but part of the recycling project was process was to actually use it in their uh, in their manufacturing products, um, hmm. which a lot of people don't realize that recycling often means that they were breaking them down to then use again. People just think, oh, I put it there and that's how it gets discarded. Well, it's that co- other countries were buying our plastic to take it off our hands and they're not buying them anymore because we made too much. And so not just China, but other countries just aren't buying them anymore. And now we have no space because oh, we are not our companies are not figuring out ways to recycle our own plastic. That makes sense now. Hence the term that styrofoam is on a moneymaker. Uh-huh. Oh, of course. Which why there aren't companies that are just blowing up in America right now to use our own non-used plastic recyclables is beyond well, me. Well, you know. Um, well, there are some, but they're not getting the traction. They it, need. it is a lot about money. Uh, solar paneling just got taxed. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway. So fun. Fun, fun so times. So fun. Oh, God, this episode's so depressing. Thank God for Jerry Gold. <laughs> yeah, Je- I can't believe we're saying that in this episode. In this episode. We're saying episode. thank God for Jerry Gold. For anyone who uh, has not seen the future, oh, just wait. Thank God for Jerry Gold. You're going to like him a lot more. You're going to understand our love a little bit more. But but also understand that you, you can love a villainous character for being just a well-rounded, cool, villainous character. Yeah, for a well-written yeah, character, I, which he is. I enjoy yeah, a villain. I love villains who are well written and have and you see where they're coming from. You may not agree agree with them, but you're like, okay, I get where you're coming from because that's a well rounded character. Oh, it's way it's way more fun to hate somebody that you actually kind of understand and possibly empathize with. It's awful because it's it's just so good. Mm. Anyway, so everyone is just so excited. They're going to do this. Everyone applauds and cheers every time someone suggests something. Miles is so excited and he offers that they all carpool which i have to say murphy at first the look on her face is not so happy about that uh miles offers to pick murphy up first and she doesn't live far he suggests 7 a.m just really not a murphy time we all would know that so she's not that happy that seems really early she's not really a morning person uh but murphy feels that it'll be good for her to get a head start on her census bureau story which i was like oh of course it's 1989 (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) The census. Mm -hmm. There you go, guys. They're really establishing how chummy and excited everybody is so that it is really such a downfall when they can't take it anymore. Murphy announces that the office needs to go through their trash and take out all their recyclables and all their paper. Corky mentions that she can pick up Frank um, and then jokes, you know, uh, you better be ready, you know, Mr. Fashion Guy. Uh, And then she can pick up Jim. Murphy announces that the office needs to go through all their trash, take out all their recyclables and their paper. We can do this. Uh, We all feel that way, don't we? It's like it's like a whole like bevy of of baby feminists were just born and they're so excited. And then the world starts to attack. Cut to the bullpen. 
the next day, maybe a couple of days later, but we're still in the glow of self-righteousness and we can do this and everything's fine. Now we have a close-up three colored recycling containers, which at the end of the script says that those will stay on the set for the remainder of the series, which is something really amazing that, you know, they do, they do keep that there and you will see them throughout the series. Uh, Murphy yeah. and Miles come off the elevator first. They, they both have paper bags of recycling. Miles has a few papers under his arm. Murphy thanks Miles for driving because she's starting to realize that a lot of the tension that she feels is sitting behind the wheel. And as they're talking, you know, they're they're putting the recyclables away. And and Miles thinks that her 60 tapes are really neat. <laughs> they're really neat, guys. Miles oh. is actually singing along to Love Child, uh, which, by the way, is on the Murphy Brown soundtrack. The song is never actually played in the series, but it is on the soundtrack. Uh, then Frank Murphy and Corky come off the elevator. Jim is telling a story, I'm assuming, about Jimmy Breslin. That sounds that right. She said yeah. Breslin. Yeah. yeah, I think so. They all have their recyclables in their hand. Uh, Jim is at the end of one of his wonderful stories. Frank and Corky love it. Frank is in early. Corky and Jim bent their schedules for him. So Frank apologizes, you know, for being late this morning. But Corky's says it's fine as long as he picked the right tie. Corky says that she's learned more about Jim in one week than she has in the whole year that she's known him. Uh, and then Jim. Jim tries to laugh. Um, <laughs> what's funny about Jim is that he, he goes on about sort of the history of Washington, D.C. And it's very obvious that Corky and Frank and everyone has heard the story before, but they're pretending like they haven't, which is, I think, a nice little subtle like, you know, we know that he keeps telling mm -hmm. the same stories over and over again, but we're OK with it. Yeah. Uh, Miles is so proud of them. First, uh, it was to show up Jerry Gold, but now it's not about winning a bet. You know, they're making a really a small difference. Then Miles discovers that his mug is dirty. I believe there's mm. gum in it, which is really? Ugh. Wow. I would just throw out the mug and start over, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's not just dirty. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got gum in it. Just incinerated. Miles man. is trying not to be pissed, but Murphy says that she's sorry. She was working on a story that she knows it's Miles' turn next and she'll she'll just do it again. She'll clean everyone's mugs. He's shocked, uh, but Murphy says this is what it's about. It's about being flexible, compromising, learning to adapt. Mm -hmm. Cut to now everybody is sick of it. Oh, so Some time has passed again. I wrote as expected. Everybody is sick of this. Miles and Murphy are already fighting when they arrived. And Murphy is upset with Miles because he won't drive to her standards. He He's not going fast enough. Grant, by the way, is fantastic in this scene. They are at each other's throats. Murphy is mad. She is throwing everything into the recycling, hard into the buckets. It is a really great fight. It is so great that it is really hard to recap without not doing it justice. Uh, Murphy's final straw is that Miles uh, has been singing the lyrics wrong to Love Child. And she, of course, has to correct him because it has been driving her crazy. Corky and Jim, of course, are the next ones to get off the elevator. Jim is upset that Corky took her cat to work with them because Mr. Puffy had a doctor's appointment and the cat got out of the carrier and it got all over him. Uh, quote, Mr. Puffy's hair is all over his dark blue suit. Corky is screaming at Jim. She is also just had it up to here, so to speak, with Jim. Corky is really sick of Jim's amusing stories, to which she says... Well, Jim, why don't you just chalk it up to one of your amusing stories in your life to go with all the other amusing stories in your life so you'll never run out of amusing stories to tell people who are trapped in a car with you every day while you amuse them with your story after story after story. So Corky is upset. Uh, Frank enters with his bike. Uh, I wrote he's cosplaying as a, as a bike rider. 
the spandex and the hat and he's uh, drinking water and going on about how amazing he feels that, you know, he really had to push himself to do it for clean air. Uh, but we soon find out that Frank actually was lying and he drove in and they all saw him go past squirting Avion water on him as if he had been dri- riding the bike. Corky mm-hmm. calls him a cheater, but Frank says he's got a date tonight. He insults Mr. Puffy. You know, what? he didn't want to go on a date with uh, Mr. Puffy's hairs all over him. So everybody's just at each other. So Murphy recommends that they take Captain Brake Pedal, a.k.a. Miles. But Miles, of course, is allergic to cats. So she says that she'll ride with everyone else. Of course, they do not want to hear that. So no one will take Murphy. Just sort of a lot of back and forth. And mm-hmm. Murphy says they have to understand the stress that she's under because every night she has Jerry Gold's viewers roaming through her trash. I have so much garbage on my front lawn, it's like a goat exploded. <laughs> I love that line. So I, I need to, pa- I love the line and I have to pause for a second. Uh, Jesse. Yeah. Do you want to guess what happened with this line with the with the viewers? Do you, do you want to want to guess what happened? Like when she said it? Yeah, like like that the the people who don't have Twitter and and what they did. <gasps> did they write in very angrily? They did. They <gasps> wrote in very angrily. Oh, I love angry snail mail. <laughs> Because uh, goats don't eat garbage, and they there was a goat community that was quite offended by the joke. Hey, as a as a fan of goats in general, mm-hmm. I, I I'm okay with this. This sounds very fun. I advocate for the goats. I advocate for the goats too, but I also love a good joke. Oh, I I don't think I would actually write in because they said something wrong about a goat. Would I would I go on a uh, a wine filled rant to to my fellow goat friends at our our goat meeting yes would i write into a tv show that was just making a joke and no goats heard it and therefore we're not offended probably not i like that i i like that i'm with you goat circle i if i if i had goat friends yes i would talk to them about my goat feelings yes and i would i would angrily yell around my goat but i wouldn't go on um snail mail twitter and complain about it how big of a, an upset was it? You know, that's a good question. Corby just said they got letters. I don't know how many letters oh, they got. Man. I didn't think to ask that question. If they had only thought before they wrote that goat joke. I know, right? Really? But the, I'm sorry, but there weren't letters about Jerry Gold assaulting Corky for an entire scene? Right? Ugh. The 80s were a fun time. Yeah, really. Priorities. Frank chimes in that he has people watching him in the shower. He doesn't like guys watching him in the shower. He's funny that way. Fair. Yeah, my shower is my special alone time. And then Frank goes off where we think his office is. <laughs> to that that void we think is Frank Void. <laughs> to the right or stage left. Yeah. And then we fade out. There is actually a, a whole a little bit more of a scene here. That oh, got really? Cut. Yeah. Attractive. There is a cut section where they just keep fighting about this whole thing. And if only Jerry Gold could see them now. And then we fade out and fade into Murphy's townhouse. And we find Murphy sitting on the couch in my one of my favorite things she owns, which is a giant Mighty Mouse t-shirt, working away, looking a, looking a little twitchy, as is our Murphy. And Eldon is in his overalls in a lovely patterned shirt. And uh, she says, Eldon, go see if that food delivery guy is coming. I haven't eaten all day and I'm starving. And Eldon just goes, and are we too weak to add a simple please? Which I honestly paused made my fiance watch this clip so that if i'm ever like this he can just give me that line and i know to stand down <laughs> i was like michael i th- i think you need this line for when my hypoglycemia is out of control <laughs> that's and, fantastic like keep me in line be my eldon and are we too weak to add a simple please <laughs> i just realized 
maybe for like the social media, we should cut together like the Elden School of Etiquette. I seriously, <laughs> I actually love that idea. I've been thinking about a couple things and like that that is genius. It's going to happen. It just everyone needs to know. I know. I love, do love him in this scene. He's wonderful in this scene. Yeah, he's becoming more the Elden that we remember. Exactly. He really is like the the barometer of truth. And she she kind of waves him off. She's like, it's the last day of the stinking ban. She's got an 8 a.m. deadline. If the food doesn't arrive, she may have to eat the wood in the fireplace. <laughs> to which Elden says, here's a wild thought. Buy groceries. And she said, well, she spent two hours in the grocery store picking up pesticide-free produce and non-colored toilet paper. She made the employee go through every box of detergents until they found the one without phosphates. And then after dodging Jerry Goldites, who stalked her through the aisles, she had to leave everything there because all they had were plastic bags that weren't recyclable. So she put everything back on the shelves and left. And then there's this like ding-dong, food, yes! But I do want to say, this is a, this is a little sidebar I want to make, which is that yeah. This this ranch she has is real. Um we're it's so this particular scene is so real. Yes. And it's this is why it's so important because this is still something that people deal with. And we're in a much more privileged situation now than we ever were, where we have actual options, where things are clearly labeled, we're able to know like if something is, you know, is raised with pesticides, if it isn't, they're actually sectioning these things off. And it's all because of these original pioneering efforts to try and make these things more accessible. The reason it was really hard to shop more ethically, or more efficiently, more economically and environmentally sound is that the options weren't there. And this is why it's actually while it's really important for individuals to do their due diligence we also need to petition companies to lead the effort because if the companies aren't doing that if they aren't giving us the information and if they aren't taking those steps it, people are just people without the the privilege and the funds to find the better options just can't and this is murphy brown is a privileged woman in washington dc if it's that hard for her to live this kind of lifestyle imagine the average person and and below average income that's just not an option for them yeah and i um i've talked to a lot of people about you know i always carry around one or two um of those bags that you can mm -hmm. fold up you know oh yeah me too and and i was talking to some people and i was like it's very easy and this you know gentleman said to me i don't carry a purse like i don't have a bag like i can't fit that in my pocket mm -hmm. and it's like well maybe you can find a way to do that you know um or uh have a some people now you can go online, which I'm looking into actually because of this episode it reminded me how much more I can do that I don't already do is to find, you know, flatware that I can carry with me for emergencies if I need to eat out. Yep. Um, but small little things, it's like, yeah, but think of the larger picture, you know, mm -hmm. but I didn't even think of that because I always carry like a canvas bag, you know, or a purse with me so I can throw it in there or people who are driving are different. Well, especially people who are driving and have somewhere to put something, you know, something we talked about, yeah. um, you know, I lived in New York for 10 years and you've lived there for a long time. And there's something about like you carry your entire day on you for the most part. You leave in the morning for work and you don't get back until late at night because everything you're doing is out, especially with the way the MTA works at this point. So if you're yeah. in a in a pedestrian city where you don't have a car to drive around that can hold your other stuff, if you I mean, I worked in an office for over six and a half years that didn't have a mini fridge or a microwave. So what I brought for myself to eat for lunch had to be something that could last unrefrigerated and didn't need to be heated up. Oh, uh, wow. And I have a mold allergy. So there's a lot that I can't eat because something goes back really quickly and I can't have it. So there are things that you don't mm. think about that make things easier. However, I will say a man saying I don't have a purse. I want to give the largest eye roll in the world. There are backpacks. Oh, no, I'm not saying oh, no, no. that as an answer. No, I'm no. saying that as that that was being that was being late. Oh, well, I just can't because of this. Well, make a reason that you can carry that yes, around. Yes, so I'm actually just yes-anding your point, not not, oh, uh, sorry. not okay. arguing it. But 
what I, I think probably the, the lamest argument I can hear is from a man saying, I don't have a purse because guess what? You can carry a backpack. I know plenty of men who carry backpacks, messenger bags. I would refuse to use the term merce because that has its own discriminatory, discriminatory and, uh, and homophobic. I agree. Uh, implications, but mm-hmm. there are ways to carry things. Now, granted, when you get to the point where you're carrying so much and then you still don't have the options, like, we have to think about the fact that these things need to be readily available. They need to be easy to hold. And also sometimes we don't think ahead. So what, you know, I, I often go to the grocery store and I have one of those fold up tote bags and I get more than I can carry in that tote bag. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, what do I do? You know, I am able to, in my financial situation, be able to get another reusable bag and do that. Some people can't do that. Some people need to buy something and they didn't carry anything with them that day. So they're, we can do our best, but there are always going to be things that get in the way and make it less convenient. And so how what we need is from the places that are selling the products that we're trying to buy to the products themselves, we need companies to be held more ethically and morally responsible. Like those yeah, options like- need to be there so that it's not on the the individual who's stuck between a rock and a hard place to have to pick the worst option. And what's great about this episode in this particular scene is that it's the conversation that people do have with themselves, which is, oh, how can my small, mm-hmm. you know, little thing make any effort? But that's how you make a large effort is that everyone doing their part. Yes. So oh, let's get to that because her yes. moment is great. Mm-hmm. What I, so she said the ding dong food. Yes. Eldon goes to the door. Um, suddenly Murphy like stands as if in prayer. She like folds her hands and she says, you know, this is going to be okay. She's going to have her dinner. She'll finish her piece. Then she like opens her arms low and looks up and says, in a few hours, that slime bucket Jerry Gold will be eating his words. And Eldon appears with the bag and the food. And she sits down. She's so excited. And she opens it up. And you just hear, no. Oh, no. This can't be happening. And she picks up a polystyrene container. She goes, I asked them, Eldon. I asked them if they used polystyrene containers. They said no. That's what they said. And what I love is that it's such a real moment of like, I did the right thing. I asked Mm -hmm. the question. I did the right thing. And now because they lied, I'm paying for it. And if that is not a freaking metaphor for our current climate, I don't know what else is. And And this the pain. The pain. You could say and what I love is she's so hungry. I genuinely, I forgot how this episode ended. So I genuinely thought that like he was going to walk in holding that. And then at some point she was just going to give up, eat out of it. And then a Jerry Goldite was going to be in the background. You know, like that, mm. that there was going to be this moment yeah, of like, she, you know what? She did everything right. No one's going to fault you. Just eat your freaking food. Well, back it goes. We got to show these restaurants that we mean business. And she hands it to him and he starts to walk. What I love is the implication that Eldon's going to go take this back for her. <laughs> Eldon just takes it and starts walking back to the door. And I was like, oh, okay. And yeah, I know. Considering <laughs> how many times he's like, really? Am I, am I, am I your maid? He's, he's going to do this for her. Right. I was like, maybe he's just going to take it. I, I don't, but she definitely says take it back to the restaurant. Anyway, but she stops him and says, let me look, just see if they screwed up the order on top of everything else. I love this. Like, she just needs to know, like, maybe it was really bad anyway, and they did the wrong thing. So it doesn't matter. She goes, mm-hmm. no, they didn't. Spaghetti carbonara. You know how sometimes the egg gets clumpy in the sauce? It didn't. And there's crispy garlic toast, soft in the middle, and a sprinkle of imported Parmesan on the top. I'm eating this. And just takes it back to the couch. And Eldon turns, oh, how the mighty have fallen. 
And she makes the the argument that many of us have heard and have said, which is that the stupid stuff's been manufactured already. Like, it's here. Mm-hmm. The polystyrene is here. What is she? She can't stop this polystyrene from being created. And that is such a such a real real life argument that we all have is like well i'm holding the plastic starbucks cup so but like that's already been made so how can my drinking out of this stop the next one from being made but it's it's cyclical it's an ouroboros of just frustration right. and and you do stop it because yeah. if it's not demanded yep. then they'll stop making it and that's the thing if you stop demanding they'll stop making it you can't stop next month's shipment but you can slow up the next months and the next months and six months from now because you aren't asking for it and i i do want to give credit to the companies that while they have the plastic cups they do sell the permanent ones that you can buy i think you mm-hmm. know if you're gonna make money from environmentalism great go ahead make a cute you know permanent one that everyone wants to carry Here's hoping that they have the bags and the uh, the shoulder weight to carry that mug with them everywhere, um, rather than having to carry an entire kitchen with them all day. But that is part of our previous conversation of how do we do this? We don't know yet. Um, and Eldon says he he knows that she may have given up, but he hopes that one day there will be little Eldens or a little Eldonette, which is a little Eldonette, and he hopes that she frolics while her father looks out, and well, uh, while her father and he looks out now more famous than Picasso, sits on the deck of his beach house, painting a breathtaking sunset while his wife, Susan Anton, looks on. Yeah, I feel like people don't remember who Susan Anton was. She was kind of in the vein of like your kind of Farrah Fawcett-y, blonde, bombshells of like a certain mm-hmm. error. Yeah, I'll be honest, I kind of forgot until this. Yeah, uh, I realized for me, probably Cannonball Run 2. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Uh, well, but would be what I would know her from. You know, I, I watched Cannonball Run 2 as a very young child and thought that that the epitome of being a grown-up female adult would be to wear sexy costumes and um, have full-out cleavage and, and drive a Lamborghini. Obviously. Obviously. Um, she'd been on Baywatch. Some people might know her from that. Um, she is on a really amazing episode of Quantum Leap, actually. Oh, Blossom, uh, Murder, She Wrote. But I feel like what he, you know, she was Miss California in 1969. Mm -hmm. Second runner up for Miss America, just to kind of give you a sense, which all of a sudden dawned on me, makes sense why he likes Corky. Yep. That's why I was like, for me, his connection to Anton is that. Ah, just don't him and just know. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. A little slow on the uptake today. Happening now, people. Yes. So Murphy says she's in reaction to this kind of, you know, condemnation. She says she's done her share. She's done more. She's not deforesting the planet. She's not causing acid rain. One lousy container is not going to make the difference from this generation to the next. <laughs> Elder just goes, planet killer. <laughs> and she goes, who's going to see? Who's going to know? And I just wrote, she just can't do it. And she just stares at it. She starts to eat and she just puts it down and goes, Eldon? Yes. Would you return this to the restaurant for me, please? I love that she asks. I love she says, please. And I love that this is the moment when I actually believe that Eldon was going to take it back. Yeah. And he just stands there and he grabs and says, you make me very proud. And that is the Eldon Murphy relationship I love. Yeah, no, it's really great. And it's it's such an important scene. It's it's really what makes this episode so prevalent today because Mm -hmm. they took the human aspect of it instead Mm -hmm. of making it, you know, we're going to be preachy, like actually going down and going, we know it's hard. We know that you're having these questions and and it's okay, but y- you yeah. can be a better person. You can have these questions and still do it. 
Like the questions are fine, work through the questions, but then still do it. So next we're back in the bullpen. The bed is over. Uh, we see Jerry Gold on the TVs in the bullpen as opposed to in the back, which is great. And I feel like they're going to keep doing mm-hmm. that from now on. He's on all three TVs. You hear Jerry going, okay, okay, that's enough. Because the audience is, is going crazy. Uh, and he blames his viewers for letting him down. They could not find anything on the FYI gang. And so now, since he's lost, he has to read a statement written by Ms. Brown that she said he wouldn't be man enough to read on the air. I'm going to read it right now. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. My voice is like really scratchy today. So here we go. I like it. it. Okay. Thank you. It's my B. Arthur. That's great. It says in parentheses in the script, this is hard. (laughs) I, Jerry Gold, must apologize. I was wrong, wrong, wrong. I totally misjudged you, Murphy. You are a woman of integrity and commitment. (laughs) Now, (laughs) can I just tell you, no pause in the script. Oh, it's totally Jay. Jay. It's it's so great. You are I totally misjudged you, Murphy. You are a woman. You are a woman. Ah, he knows how to get to everybody. Such a D. And I, Jerry Gold, must learn to stop shooting off my loud, arrogant, obnoxious ash can of a mouth. At best, I am a worm. That's so Murphy. <laughs> then he takes a beat. I know. Best I'm a worm. And he's like just saying this through gritted teeth. And then he takes a beat. He wads up the letter and tosses it. Okay, someone want to recycle this? <laughs> Today, a woman who claims she spent the last 10 years married to a horse, which, by the way, I don't think we can hear the end of that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think it's just the last 10 years. I think we see a woman who claims and then it sort of fades out as everyone's cheering. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I never knew that he said who spent the last 10 years married to a horse. <laughs> I mean, isn't there a woman who married a brick wall? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. there's also a woman in the last couple of years who married and divorced a uh, ghost pirate. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. I, I know. I read about that. Yeah, they got divorced. I didn't know they got divorced. They That's did. sad. Yeah. I kept up with it because I was fascinated. Yeah. Jim. Do you have Jim's quote or would you would you like me to say it? I, I don't. I saved it for you. Okay. Because I care. Jim says that it was worth it. That bombastic big mouth blowhard bungled the bet and blew his bravado to bits. Yay. It's so good. Frank goes, Jim's back. Jim's back. That is a lot of bees. Ugh. Well done. So everyone's, you know, patting each other on the back. Everything's going to be great, you know. But now they have a story meeting and they get sort of back into the swing of things. They all gather on the glass table. We see soda cans and half-eaten pizza and real plates, mm-hmm. not paper plates. And as they're, you know, talking about their ideas, Frank starts pitching this idea about emergency room shutdowns, which is still very prevalent today. But Miles wants him to sell him on it. So as he's sort of going through why he feels this is a good story... Frank takes his finished soda can and throws it in the regular trash. Mm-hmm. What's great is that there's a sound effect added that says clank. Yeah. You know, like it, it reverberates. And, and the newsroom just stops. Like this does not feel right. And Frank gets it. And he goes, hold on a second, will you guys? And then Frank goes back into the trash. He takes the can and he goes over to the now, you know, special baskets, the colored recycling baskets that we will have now for the rest of the run of the show and puts it in the correct basket. And then everyone just goes on with the rest of their day. He goes, anyway, as I was saying, emergency room is, uh, emergency room care is really something we should give priority to because, and then it says in the script, life goes on and we fade out. It's so perfect because it's actually, it shouldn't be a big deal. 
That's what I love is that it's not this like everyone looks at each other like, yeah, we did it. We're saving the world. It's that actually it should be that simple. It should just be that you just put it in the right spot and keep going. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take that much thought to do the small things for the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Are you following us on social media? Hey, are you? We really hope you are because we say this a lot. We do. And we hope that you listen. That's that's half of communication, people. If we this relationship requires us to talk and you to listen and you know, maybe someday we'll be able to do the other side of it. But for right now, we just need the listening. Yeah, there's so much that we can't talk about <laughs> on the show that we get to visually put on social media. Yes. For example, um, one of my favorite memories of 1990s recycling is Bette Midler, among many people, including Stevie Wonder and MC Scat Cat, singing Take It Back, a parody of Take Out Those Papers and Those Trash. Yep. It is amazing. It is full of 90s outfits and 90s love and I put that on the Instagram yeah and you can see it but you can't see it on the podcast you gotta follow us on the Instagram yes and we love sharing fun little things and little updates that we have and pictures at Murphy Brown Pod and you can also email us at murphybrownpod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts or, or topic suggestions. You can leave us a review on iTunes. We would really love to hear from you. It really helps us, you know, continue to do the show and also hear that you're listening out there, that we're not just doing it to a brick wall. <laughs> and we'll see you soon for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. What's he going to do? Pick him up in his Schwinn? Wait, I don't even know if that's the line. I just made that up.